Hello everyone, I'm Matthew Delvedova and this is The Delhi Podcast. The show features people I find interesting in the world of sports and entertainment, health and fitness, business and startups. We'll discuss a wide range of topics including things like self-improvement and growth, personal journeys, pivotal career moments and much more. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Remember, if you enjoy this content, be sure to subscribe to the Daily Podcast on Apple or wherever else you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Daily Podcast. I'm lucky enough to be joined today by Earl Pike, uh, Executive Director of University Settlement. Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, a little bit about our background and, and how we know each other. Uh, my wife and I, uh, passion is reading and, and helping kids with their vision. And uh, we partnered up with University Settlement, um, I think it was late last year, uh, right. with the Cleveland Clinic to, to work on a vision day, uh, get, get the kids' eyes tested and, and get the kids who needed glasses, um, some glasses so they can yeah. get better and, and work on their reading. So. Um, for those who aren't aware of University Settlement in, in the Cleveland area, uh, what, what do you guys do there? Sure. Um, uh, but first, I have to say thanks for having me, and also thanks for everything you're doing in, in Slavic Village. I mean, it, when I see kids who are having a hard time reading, getting glasses for the first time, that's an amazing thing. So, And we'll, we'll talk about more of that in, in a little bit. Um, so just a little bit of background about University Settlement. We've been around for almost 100 years, it's 94 years at this point, uh, 1926. Uh, we were established to be a place for nursing and social work students at Case Western Reserve University to practice their craft, their profession in low-income communities. Um, and over time, it's evolved into what's, what's, what's known as a settlement house. There's actually a settlement house movement in the United States and settlement houses were formed to help new people to neighborhoods kind of get settled in, as the name suggests, and adjusted to their new life. And they were typically immigrants. Um, so it started in 1926 by this woman from Case. It evolved over time. Um, and it became, by, by the beginning of World War II, sort of the main social service agency in the community. Um, it's probably important to know a little bit about Slavic Village before I say too much more about University Settlement. This community used to be 100,000 people. It's a, it's a southern neighborhood of the city of Cleveland. It used to be 100,000 people because of, um, because of closures of steel mills and other factors that are common in northern cities in the US, it's now 22,000 people. Um, so we've evolved to meet those needs and, and because it went from 100 to 22,000 people, that means that the people in the community who remain tended to be poor, more marginalized, less likely to be employed, there were fewer businesses and so on and so on. So university settlement evolved a series of social service programs to meet those needs. The, the poverty rate in this community, by the way, among kids, the kids that you're helping, is 60%. The lead toxicity rate. Um, so we know that if kids get a certain amount of lead in their bloodstream, that it actually causes permanent cognitive impairment, which impede, impedes reading. That the lead toxicity rate in three schools that we tested last year was 
Um, and whenever, I, even when I say that number coming out of my mouth, it feels like a, a kick in the stomach because that literally means that a third of kids could be starting school with permanent cognitive impairment. So poverty, lead, uh, lack of jobs, so on and so on. Um, in response to all of those needs, we have four main areas. We serve seniors, youth, uh, families, and the community at large. And we might have time to talk about those services a little bit later, but yeah. I think what's important to keep in mind is that last year we served 12,000 of the 22,000 residents. So if you live in Slavic Village, if you live around here, chances are better than 50-50 that you're gonna interface with us at some point of the year to get some kind of service. And the kind of service that you get is basically kind of keeping families together so they can um, make it the next step down the road to sort of keeping that family intact. Yeah. Um, it's, it's astonishing to us the needs that people come to us to. I mean, they'll literally come barefoot because they can't afford shoes. Even in the midst of all this, the COVID, um, we, we never closed. And in fact, in March, we gave away more food in a single month than we've ever given away in our entire history. So um, what that means is we're the last stop. We're, we're, the, we're the place that people turn to when there's, when there's nothing else. And even with the food, we were one of the last open food pantries in the entire region still serving food for a while. So people would drive from other communities to come get food from us. So all that means is, you know, it's, it's a deeply challenged com community full of really, you know, wonderful people who want to raise their kids well and want to connect with their neighbors and want to work and want to, want to achieve something in life who can't always do that. And when they can't, we're here to help them. And over the course of the year, we help half the community. Yeah. I mean, that, it's incredible. And I think um, when Anna and I came along and uh, to those, uh, homework. I remember that. I remember and, that. And having the parents be be so involved in in their kids' learning, I think that was something that I guess really stuck with me. That they yeah. they're really yeah. trying to do the best that they can to yeah. to to make the best opportunities for their kids. So um, I, I and, think and that's a really cool thing. And I would add that um, when you and Anna came. Um, this is a community that often feels forgotten. So the fact that a, um, an international sports star and his wife, very pregnant at the time, might I add, um, came and visited us and spent time sitting down with kids. You have no idea how much impact that has on the kids. But it also says something about the community that people really feel forgotten around here. Yeah. No, I pre appreciate that. Um, no. And then, so can, can you share a bit more uh, about the youth programming and, and what, yeah. what you guys focus in on, on for the kids? Because I mean, to, to give them those opportunities to, to learn and, and grow yeah. and develop. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me share about the youth program by, by sharing a story that relates to actually to your work. Um, we, do, we do a lot of youth programming but something as simple as access to books is a really huge deal here. Um, last, not last summer, but the summer before, I often go for walks in the neighborhood and just talk to people. And a couple summers ago, I was out walking with um, the program officer from a local foundation. It was like July and we ran into two kids on their bicycles, these old beater bicycles. They're probably second and third grade. 
And we stopped to talk to them and we said, so what are you reading this summer? Because usually schools give kids a summer reading list to read. And so we just wanted to have a conversation about books. And the one kid, the younger kid, probably second grade said to us, well, I'm not reading anything because my mom had to sell my books because we had to move suddenly because we were being attacked by my dad. Like there was a domestic violence situation. Wow. Mom had to move suddenly and to come up with the de security deposit on a new place, she had to sell the kids books. So um, immediately Dale, the person I was walking with, she and I walked over to University Sun. We loaded these kids up with books, right? Like got bags and gave them all the books we could. <clears throat> That's the context in which youth services happen. Um, I was, ran into another kid recently um, and I asked him what he was doing, where he was going, this was last summer, and I, I asked him where he was going next fall. Um, and he said, well, I just got out of the first grade, but I was expelled for getting into a fight with another kid. So there's a zero tolerance kind of um, uh, approach with the schools. I was expelled, so I don't know what's gonna happen next. So you've got this seven-year-old kid who's not sure where he's going to school, and you've got this second grade kid who has no books in the family, nothing to read. That's the context. So what we do is we try to help kids succeed academically, but also in terms of the soft skills that you need in order to succeed in school. So you, um, as, as, as somebody who loves reading, speaking to somebody else who lo also loves reading, it's not always fun. I mean, there, there are times, I'm reading a bunch of books right now, some of them are kind of work. Um, you have to be disciplined. You have to have certain skills before you even open the book. So our programs emphasize the soft skills and the academic skills. We do that in a couple of different ways. We have embedded staff in two local schools. They're called wraparound staff. And what that means is, if you're a family that has stuff going on at home, that's getting in the way of you learning, we can work with that family, address those needs, and get the kid back on track for learning. It's amazing to me how simple some of the obstacles are. So for example, um, some kids, because they don't have a washer and dryer at home, will come to work, to come to school with the same clothes they wore the day before and the day before and the day before. And they're embarrassed about that. So we were able to get a washer and a dryer in the school so that kids can come to school a little bit early and we can get them clean clothes. Our wraparound coordinators work with dozens of agencies, mobilize all those agencies on a kid's behalf and help them succeed. We also have uh, after-school programming uh, five days a week um, in, during the school year. We'll probably do, continue to do that the way we've been doing that for the last couple of months, which is on a virtual platform. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have summer programming as well, which we've already launched. Yeah. Normally, those would, we would bring all the kids together. They would all be physically here. We're doing all of that virtually now because of COVID-19. How, how tough is that, trying to do that virtually? I mean, that is a great question. With the kids, That's a, you know, having access to technology, because if they don't have access to books, I mean, to, to learn virtually is, is going to be really hard. That is, it is such an insightful question on, on two levels. One is, um, one is because of COVID and because sort of kids were sent home one day without a real clear understanding of what happens next. One of the challenges is actually finding kids. Um, so we've, we've lost a couple of our kids, lost them as in we can't, we don't know where they are. Um, 
And we've even gone to their houses and knocked on their doors. One house we knocked on the other day was a completely abandoned house. So kids are getting lost in the shuffle. Um, and that's really, uh, really concerning. Um, there's, there's academic regression because kids aren't um, able to engage with a, with a teacher very much. But to your point, um, the, the strategy has been so far to try and get one laptop and one hotspot in each household. The problem is if you've got six kids in the Cleveland Public Schools, you have seven people in that household trying to get online. Yeah. Um, so we've been trying to do what we can to get laptops and hotspots into homes so that kids can actually study. But it's a real challenge. I just got a donation the other day so we can get some laptops into, into one of the communities that we serve. But, you know, we need a lot more than what we have right now. Yeah. And just going back to the wraparound stuff, I think yeah. that's a really interesting point. How important yeah. is it for you to be aware of the full picture and, and have everybody on board and have everybody pushing in the same direction? Because oftentimes, you know, everyone can be working hard in isolation, but to have a plan that actually comes together seems yeah. like a really important thing. Well, I, I will say one, one of the things, I'm, on any given day, I am beyond proud of the staff of University of Seattle. They are, um, they're one of the best teams that I've ever worked with. And I've been in this work for about 35 years. Um, it's really, it's really tough to, to do this kind of work. And it takes a lot out of the staff because they see all this stuff going on. But it's because they see all this stuff going on that they can actually address the issues that are getting in the way of education. So if you, if you go to school um, the night before, you know, the police were at your house for some reason, or you, don't, or you didn't eat breakfast, that's a common issue, a really, really common issue. Any of those things can impede uh, learning. And so we have to know about those, um, to your question, we have to know about those in order to address them. We do a lot of outreach and, and um, I'll give you another example of sort of issues that impede academics. We were doing outreach near one of the schools last fall. And I ran into two moms who said, two separate moms who said that they take their kids to, to school second hour. So they miss the first hour, but then they walk their kids to, to school the second hour, which means literally they're missing 17% of every school day. I, I did the math on this. Yeah. So in one case, it was because uh, there was a neighbor who would let out his dogs every morning around the time of first period, and they were, you know, dangerous dogs. Yeah. And she terrified to walk her kids to school during first period so she waited until after he brought his dogs back in wow. the second case was even more compelling she she what she told us was that when she took her kids to school she was embarrassed about her kids oral hygiene and her teacher the teachers often said something about her kids bad teeth and what she told us was i thought she was going to say she couldn't afford a dentist what she told us was, I can't afford the toothpaste. So you and I Man. would not even blink at the cost of a tube of toothpaste, right? Um, so in her case, it seems odd, but in her case, getting her toothpaste means the difference between her feeling comfortable taking her kids first period versus second period, which means getting her kids 17% more academic instruction in that year. 
it's the things that we're not asking about that yeah. often get in the way. And the kids, when they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they simply don't share. They just kind of, they kind of swallow it and go on. Yeah. I mean, that, those are incredible stories that, I mean, it's almost hard, hard to believe. It is, isn't it? I mean, I, she was telling me this and I was thinking, in America in 2019, how can this be true? Yeah. But, so, I mean, you talk about like the wraparound and, and the whole community effect. Can you talk a bit about the programming for, for seniors and, and families yeah, in the community yeah. in general? Sure. So, um, so I mentioned that the youth, it's wraparound, it's summer program, it's after school. Um, we have a parents advisory council. We do things like um, we have a, in, in a normal school year, we have every Wednesday night, families come and we all work on homework together. Yeah. That's the youth program. Senior program, before COVID, was a daily congregate program. We'd have a group of, a, of anywhere between 30 and 60 seniors come every day. They would get programming, they would get breakfast, they would get lunch, and they would get a snack. Um, that's critical because in a neighborhood like this, seniors can feel very isolated. So it's, it's very much socialization and, and keeping people fed. Yeah. Uh, they go on field trips. They they um, field trips might be going to the drugstore, but they might also be going to an occasional ball game or something like that. Yeah. Um, the family program is in some ways our core program. We just don't talk about it much. So the best way to explain our family program is that we're the we're the central referral site for all Cuyahoga County cases of child abuse and neglect in four zip codes. All of those cases get referred to us to sort of put those families back together. Um, and we anticipate in 2021 that we're gonna serve somewhere around a thousand families. Wow. So all of those, and what that means is they, they, they have parenting groups, they have socialization stuff, but we also host the visitation. So when, if, if, if for whatever reason, a child is removed from a household, there's a scheduled visitation with that child. So that they can, so that parents can begin to work with their kids again. We do all those visitations here; wow. those are all hosted here, um, which is a bit of a challenge in COVID because we have people sort of coming and going. Uh, but the family services are just so critical. And what we know about that is that even even when a child has experienced abuse or neglect, they still very much want their mom or their dad back. Right? They they want their family to be whole, and often the parents do too. So we do everything we can to put those families back together. And then the last area we, we, we provide services is sort of broadly called community programs. The main part of that is, is food services. Uh, we do daily delivery of hot meals to seniors and homebound adults. Um, uh, we do a weekly congregate meal, which we've been doing as a carryout thing every Tuesday night. But we also have a huge pantry program. So last year we provided about 225,000 meals to the community. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah, that's it's a lot. Incredible it's impact that, that you're having. I mean, what, I guess, what are some of the other accomplishments you're, you're most proud of uh, since you've been in executive director? You know, I'll tell you, st um, whatever, whatever is, my motto is that whatever's good around here is the staff's um, creation, whatever's bad around here is my fault. It truly is true that um, this team is amazing. I, I'll tell you a quick story about that. 
um, I knew when I, I, I had actually worked with this agency before, so I knew a little bit about the agency. And, and what always impressed me is that they treated people with enormous dignity and respect. And the story that I wanted to share is a couple days after I started, I, I walked across the street um, to, to reach out to Grace, who runs our pantry program. And, I, I, and she, when I walked into the pantry, she was talking to one of our clients. And, and I walked up to her and I said, hi, I'm Earl, I'm the new director, and I just wanted to introduce myself. And she said, um, she turned me with a sweet smile and she said, I know who you are, um, but right now I'm working with a client and I'll, and I'll talk to you after I'm done. And I thought, that's the person I want, right? She just dissed the new executive director because she's working with a client. That's the kind of focus that I want. So, so one thing that I'm extra, I don't get to take credit for it, but one thing I'm proud of with this place is we don't judge you. We don't judge you. If you have a criminal history and you need food, you need food. If you have, um, if you're a complicated person and you need housing, we'll help you. If you're a kid who's gotten into a lot of trouble, like the kid I mentioned who's been expelled, we're going to support you uh, because everybody's got, you know, everybody's got stuff, everybody's got challenges and, and opportunities. The big thing, though, is I think we've shared this with you is we, we're breaking ground in, in um, September on a $20 million new home for us. Um, ground floor would be 20,000 square feet for the University Settlement and three floors above that of one, two, and three bedroom affordable housing. It's the largest investment in this community in 30 years. Yeah. And it'll, it'll change this community for decades to come. So the reason we're doing that, I wish I could show you a picture right now. When I first walked into our, our, um, our main building, we have two buildings. I remember thinking, if I, it's run down, it's, um, it's, it, it leaks, it literally drips on the seniors during a rainy day. I was up on the roof the other day because I was trying to hang something and I found um, three or four raccoon masks. Um, it's a mess. And I remember thinking when I first walked in, if I were a client, what would this tell me about who I am? And the answer is obvious. It tells you, it tells you that you've sort of reached bottom. So this new building will sort of create a new narrative for the community and, and more hope for the future. And the community deserves it. So, so when you ask what I'm proud of, I'm proud that this staff holds clients so close to the bone and that we're building this project. Yeah, no, that, that, that's really- It's awesome. exciting. That, yeah, no, and we'll, we'll hopefully be able to get some uh, photos to, to put up. That'd be great, that'd be so, great. So people can see that. What, I mean, how how can the community help? I mean, I, I'm hoping this will yeah. go out to a lot of people, yeah. uh, especially in the Cleveland area, that that may be able to help out or share it with someone yeah. else that that can help out. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a couple ways, and um, I th I think I, I don't know about you, but I I think that we're in a moment right now. It's partly a COVID moment. It's partially a racial equity moment. It's it's a, it's a moment of sort of deep reflection about who we are and what it means to be who we are and how we want to live our lives. And so one of the things that I would ask people to do is to, um, I don't want to say this in a judgmental way at all or, or a patronizing way, but just make a commitment to understand poverty a little bit better. Um, the, it's not, the people in this neighborhood work very hard just to make it day to day. Yeah. 
when you when you're working very hard to just make it day to day, it's hard to do the other stuff that that the world thinks you should do. Get an education, get a job, all that kind of stuff. You're just getting by. Um, so think a little bit more deeply about poverty and think about, I was thinking about this this morning, that times like this call those of us who are, who are blessed to do more and times like this call those who are less blessed to ask for help, ask for the help that you need. And so since I'm in a position to do more, I, I, you know, my wife and I are committed to giving more this year than last year, even though we're probably going to have less income. Just because that's how, that's how you, that's what you do when you're human. So think more about poverty. We can always use volunteers. Um, even during COVID, we've, we've, we've been able to accommodate some, not as many as we have in the past, but certainly uh, volunteers. Um, and we need volunteers for everything. It could be in any of our programs. Um, resources always help, but um, I don't want to be one of those nonprofit directors who's always walking out there with hat in hand because if you believe in it, you'll support it. And if you believe in something else, you'll support that. Um, but I do think that this project that we're doing uh, is probably one of the most exciting projects happening in Cleveland right now. And that it's a very exciting time to be involved with University Settlement. I should have said, by the way, that the other part of this project is not just a new home for University Settlement, but we realized, and, and this sort of amplifies the point I just made, we realized that if we, we built this lovely facility for us, but didn't do anything for what was right around us, that it would be like creating a gated community in a poor neighborhood. Yeah. And so we said, let's be outward facing. So we're simultaneously abating the lead and asthma triggers from all 250 homes in our immediate area and creating the first lead safe neighborhood in Cleveland. That's which awesome. that the, the thing that I said before about 30% of kids testing positive for lead toxicity won't be true in the future. That's, um, that's really, really. I'm, I'm, Incredible! I'm, I'm as excited about that as I am, you know, having a new uh, offices for us. Yeah. There's plenty, plenty, plenty. And, and even, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to help kids recover from the COVID year, which I, history will probably call it that, they're, they're, they're behind academically anywhere from six to 12 months. We're going to need tutors. We're going to need readers. We're going to need mentors. We're going to need Anybody who can spend a couple hours with a kid just reading and talking about what they're reading, which yeah. is why reading work that you're doing is so important. Yeah, no, no, that's that's really awesome. And then then the the best way for people to learn more is it is it the website? Probably the website. It's universitysettlement.net. There's a dot universitysettlement.org in New York. If you end up in New York, you went to the wrong place. So <laughs> universitysettlement.net, and we have a bunch of information about our programs and what we're doing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Earl, th thanks for having a chat today. Hopefully, uh, you know, this can go out to a lot of people and, and uh, you, you get some new, new volunteers, but appreciate your time and congratulations and, and great work to everybody there who, who does an awesome job. I want to say congratulations on your book, which uh, all the kids have read now. Some of the staff are reading it. I have 12 other books ahead of this, but this is on my, my, my book stand. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. Thanks, so. All right. See ya. Take care. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode as I'm always looking for ways to improve and make the show even better. 
You can leave a review at The Deli Podcast in iTunes or within Apple's podcast app. Really appreciate your feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever else you tune in to listen. Talk to you next week.